We're running a little late this morning, but I just want to tell you, back in Reverend Kinney's time, they did not worry about how long the sermon went. It might go on for hours or days. If it wasn't for that congregational meeting, I'll tell you. I want to begin today by thanking Ken Serene for creating that time machine that got uh, Reverend Kinney here. Ken Serene is a technical whiz, and he can make all kinds of things happen that you might not think were possible. And I want to thank Reverend Kinney for joining us this morning. His face looks vaguely familiar to me, but I can't place what the connection is. Maybe I'll think of it later. Reverend Kinney's presence today reminds us of many things, and one of them is that we can never be sure of the consequences of anything that we do. We don't know exactly what consequences will come. So as a consequence of Reverend Kinney helping to found this church in 1843, which I intensely urge you to go back and do at the right moment, this congregation has come about, and I'm sure that that's not something that Reverend Kinney or anyone else could fully have predicted uh, what this congregation would be like in 2017. So when we do things in the world, we, we need to take the right action that we can uh, envision at that moment without knowing exactly what the outcome of that will be because that actually is not a knowable thing. But we do the best at every moment that we can. Reverend Kenny, you are certainly right in pointing out some of the ways that our beliefs and practices are different from those of your day. And yet, it does seem to me that there is a real link that connects us over the years. How does that link work? In the, 19, uh, seven, in the 1700s and 1800s, the new story of universalism was a breakthrough message. This was a new and radical idea within Christianity. This idea that a loving God would not want anyone to go to hell. That was the basic idea of universalism. Really, the argument was that love and hell were fundamentally incompatible. You couldn't have a loving God at the helm of the universe and also have eternal punishment from which there was no escape, no hope, no parole, no leniency, no second chance, no way out, that that was impossible, is what the early universalists said. That with a God that's overflowing with love and mercy, eternal punishment could not exist. That was the idea. I'm so grateful that people like Reverend Kinney and uh, the brothers and sisters of those days preached this fundamental insight that a fiery and unending hell for millions of people could not be the final result of a loving God. This is a theological argument. Um, and of course, there are people who disagree with this argument, which because we're, you use, that's fine. We, we can disagree. That's okay. We'll go get a latte and we'll talk about it for a while. The early universalists, though, told the story that it was Jesus, through his sacrifice, who redeemed us all 
regardless of whether we believe in him or not. See, that's the difference in universalism. Because many of the traditions, like the Baptists, for example, I grew up Baptist too, they, you have to believe in your salvation or you don't have it. The universalists argued that you did not need to believe, that it was simply a fact, that it's something that has happened. Just like if you're in a courtroom and if the judge and jury say you are not guilty, you're free. And it doesn't matter whether you believe that or not. Your belief is irrelevant to the fact that this has taken place. I remember Diane and I being in a restaurant one night in New Mexico after we had done somebody a good deed. And we went up to pay the bill and the person at the register said, your bill has been paid. It was those lovely folks that we helped out. And you know, it doesn't matter whether we believe that or not. The person in the restaurant doesn't care if we believe. Your bill's been paid. It's a fact. So that's what the kind of argument that the universalists made. It's done. It's accomplished. So uh, this old story was now being retold in a brand new way. And people like Reverend Kinney traveled all over the country telling the people that there was no hell to fear. They were not going to hell. But what they needed to do was to live wonderful, loving, compassionate lives and to celebrate the joy of life and to accept people as they are and realize the potential of humanity, that that's what life was for. It was not for being scared to death of going to hell. That was the universalist message. It was a message of optimism and hope for all humanity. So one of the things we know about human history is that stories change. Stories always change. Some stories become more powerful over time and others lose their hold on the human imagination. Some stories, you know, some sitcoms you forget about five seconds after you've seen that episode. It's just gone. So not all stories last. And even the stories that last go through changes. So over the years, the story of God and Jesus has changed in many ways and has had many interpretations. The preachers of a point of view called Unitarianism argued that Jesus was not a divine being, but a human being. And that we were saved not by the sacrifice of Jesus, but by his example. That became the Unitarian story of Jesus. Jesus, a person just like us, showed us how to live the best possible life. That was the message of the story. He manifested that kind of universal healing love that had always been attributed to a loving God. He was a human being, but a special and profound prophet whose life was a light on our pathway. Many universalists were impressed by the Unitarian idea of Jesus, and many Unitarians became universalists in that they rejected the idea of hell. And so they both started to share back and forth these messages, and eventually in the 20th century, a little over 50 years ago, these two movements merged and became 
the Unitarian Universalist Association. Our church is called the Universalist Unitarian Church, mostly just to confuse people so that they won't know. We wouldn't want a strong marketing program. That would be too extreme. No, actually, that's not true. It's called the Universalist Unitarian Church because this was a Universalist church starting in 1843. Now we're both, we're all together. Joseph Campbell, the great master of mythology of the 20th century, came forth with a message that is equally powerful to these others. He said that the great teachings of our myths are not based upon their historical accuracy, but upon the messages that they convey. This is the Joseph Campbell approach to myth, which I think has changed the world as well. And it's something for us as you use to take to heart, because it really speaks to us. He, he says that it is not about history. It's about what message is contained in that myth and whether that message speaks to our hearts and minds. That's the thing to pay attention to. Let me give you an example. Every year, thousands and thousands of people go to see Shakespeare's classic play, Hamlet. Hamlet, if you haven't seen it, it's a bestseller. You should go rent a movie today. Hamlet begins with Hamlet seeing the ghost of his father. And the ghost gives Hamlet a message. And the message is that a tyrant has taken over the kingdom and has killed the rightful king. And that Hamlet must overthrow the tyrant king and set things right again. This is the message of the ghost. And then all kinds of things start happening. Get this vast, complex story of Hamlet has trouble making decisions, and it, it, it's it's a very different. It's a tragedy, but it is one of the most powerful stories in humanity. And people keep going to see Hamlet year after year. There are festivals, and and the great actors want to play that role because it's considered one of the great roles of certainly the English language. I have seen it performed, I think, maybe about a half a dozen times. I don't know. But I have never heard anyone walk out from seeing Hamlet and say, but wait, there aren't really any ghosts. <laughs> That's not the reaction that people have. They don't question that. They're not worried about whether there are really any ghosts. When we see a story like that, we are moved by the messages of what it means to be a human being and the kind of struggles we go through and what should we do if there's a tyrant that needs to be overthrown and how should we find our courage and how should we find our way in life. And these are enormous questions that the play raises for us. Whether there happens to be a ghost or not, so this is an example where someone like Joseph Campbell would say, you don't need to worry about whether there's a ghost. You need to think about what this play is saying. And people walk out shaking their heads over and over again because it stirred them so much. To take an example that's much lighter, 
I rarely, if ever, hear any people of any age complaining that Santa Claus is not real when Santa brings them the gift they deeply want. I do not hear that complaint. It's not the issue, folks. <laughs> it's not the issue. What is that character about, that character that is about giving and laughing at life and, and making the children happy and making us think that it's possible that we might get our heart's desire and what would that be like? So there are deep truths in these stories even if factual truth is not one of them. There are different kinds of truth. And so we love these stories and we tell them over and over again. And the question is, what do they tell us about our lives? That's the important question. So I wanna try for just a moment to say some of the things that I think the universalist story tells us about life. It's a certain view of life. It's not the view that everybody holds. But what kind of view of life does this old universalist story tell us? One of them is that the goodness of life is for everyone and not just a few. That's one of the things that this holds. Forget all the God and all that. Don't even worry about that for a minute. It just says that the goodness of life is for everyone. And it's not for some people to have the goodness and other people to have nothing. The story does not buy that view of reality. It says it's for everyone. Another great truth of the story is that love is not compatible with total lack of compassion as, for example, in torture. Love is not compatible with that. That's what the story says. You can't say you're about love and then be oppressive. You can't do that. You can't send people to hell either in this world or another. If you're going to have a message of love, then it can't be about oppression. You can't justify oppression on the basis of a message of love. So that's another thing that the story is saying. Now, actually, I should tell you in terms of uh, equal time that there, there is a theological position that does say that love, a loving God can still put people in hell, but I'm not gonna, they can be their own advertising people, but if you wanna go down to, Paneras and get a latte one day, I'll tell you what the theory is. Uh, here's another one. Universalism does not believe, I'm going to use a, a word now that may make you squirm a little bit, but universalism does not believe that salvation is individual. All right, let's, universalism does not believe that the goodness of life, the, the most wonderful experience of life is individual, as is the emphasis in lots of religious practices. It believes that it's social, actually, that it's everybody, that we get there together. So it's not a matter of one person being saved, or two people being saved, or 
few million being saved, it's something we have to look at as a project of all of us. It's something that's going to, we're going to do it together. So that's universalism as well. As Dr. King says, we must survive together as brothers and sisters, or we're going to perish together as fools. See, that's the same idea. We're in the boat together. We're in the boat together. Universalists, both old and new, believe that we must create the beloved community here on earth, regardless of what may come after this life. And Reverend Kenny, this has become a stronger point of view in contemporary time, that the beloved community must take place on this earth. And it must be done through the cooperation of all of us. Regardless of whether there's an afterlife or not. Both universalists and Unitarians have always been social progressives in this sense. Believing that both God's love and human love must be fully lived on this earth. And so this has created a... A socially progressive perspective that has been with both universalists and Unitarians since their beginnings. Universalists affirm that power, those who have power, must exercise it with love. And that power cannot be exercised in a tyrannical or oppressive way. Where does that come from? It comes from the idea that the God figure, whether you want to consider that a myth or a being, the God figure is a loving figure and does not, it does not concern itself with punishment but with love. And so universalism affirms that when power is exercised, it cannot be tyrannical or dictatorial or oppressive. It has to be compassionate and loving. Okay. And universalists believe that the bottom line is love. It's an inclusive, expanding love. It brings in everyone. Nobody is left out in universalism. Nobody is left out. Everybody's in. And that that love is triumphant in the end. Dr. King's moral arc of the universe is an example of that view. Now, do we actually get to the land of perfect justice and perfect love? So here's what I, I just want to say one thing about that. I would argue that this is a valid path for us even if it is perhaps not literally possible. I, that's another one we can go down to Panera's with. In other words, the vision of the beloved community may not ever be perfectly fulfilled. But it is that vision that informs where we should be headed. We should still be going that way even if we don't actually get there or if it's a very, very, very long time. The moral arc bends slowly. This vision of a place where everyone is reconciled creates a direction for us whether we ever reach it or not. 
So I would argue that these truths are all present in the universalist message, and they're present even if one does not believe uh, in God or Jesus. It doesn't require that, actually, just like Joseph's. These are the uh, patterns that are displayed in the story. And that's why that has become a powerful story, a story that, that matters. We need to look at these stories not as history, but as ways of communicating the deepest values of humanity that we can possibly comprehend and pass on. The way we tell the story is, matters immensely even when the story is a myth. This past week, we saw unfold before our eyes a tragedy as upsetting as Hamlet is upsetting. We saw before our eyes a tyrannical leader or someone overtaken by a tyrannical dream or some such thing going down the path of isolation rather than inclusion, of rejection rather than community, of, of saying in a way to the whole world, go to hell, so to speak. <laughs> Apparently believing that some small group of people can be saved and the rest are not important. So we can see how these myths play out. It's not just Saturday night entertainment. In this particular case, we see the vision of someone who believes that some people are to be included in the good life and others are not important. This is what the universalist myth argued against and sought to overthrow. Because in the universalist story, everyone is worth it. And no one gets kicked out. The leader's job is to unite everyone, not to conquer all the others through war. It's a this vision that we saw acted out, it sees punishment as the answer and compassion as really being for losers. Compassion is for losers in this more tyrannical point of view. So what a tragic, bankrupt point of view. These kinds of leaders can't help but remind me, at least, I don't know about you, but I grew up Baptist, and I, uh, there's a lot of good things about being a Baptist, but the one that these kind of leaders remind me of is that vision of an angry, jealous, warlike tribal God who accomplishes his purpose through conquering and war, who uses wrath and threats and fury to terrify his enemies. So that image of the angry, patriarchal, warlike, tribal God, through this universalist story, they were overthrowing that image 
See, we don't necessarily feel this is the most important thing to do, but it was at that time, because that was the way everyone looked at the world. To overthrow that angry, tyrannical God with one who is compassionate and inclusively loving, whose heart goes out to all, who will not stop trying to bring everyone into the fold until every single person is brought together in community. That was the vision. You may or may not believe in such a God, but I'll bet that the ideals that such a myth portrays are still appealing to you and that you would prefer those values be lifted up on earth rather than the God of war and retribution and punishment and torture. Whether you think the myth happened or will happen or not, the values are being lifted up for us to ponder and adopt. And if anyone disagrees, no matter, our story says just love them anyway. That's the universalist way, nor do they need to be converted. They are on their own path, and we are still in the boat together with all the people who disagree. That's where we are, we're in that boat. The old story is powerful. Its power is not in its literal truth, but in the vision of life that it lifts up for us. Whether such a God exists or not, the story points the way toward a better quality of human life, a healthier model of leadership, a more compassionate model of human relationship. It says that even when tyrants roar, that love is still powerful, and that love one day will win. The story tells the truth, but the truth does not need to be told by this particular story. It can be embodied in countless ways. That is universalism too. But however we tell it, the story of love and compassion still shines brightly. Whether in 1842 or 2017, it shows us a sane and healthy way to live. This story, or any other story like it, is worth telling over and over again. So may it be for us.